0: Tonight, we are in the book of Isaiah. So Lord, as we take a few minutes to open up your word and let it speak into our lives, I just thank you for the men and women that are here tonight. I pray that you would bless them, encourage them, and I pray that we would learn more about you by the time that we have in this book tonight. And we're so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight, for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. And really, as we do, we enter into a new section of the Old Testament called the prophets. There are four sections in our English Bibles there in the Old Testament. You have the law, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then you have the history, that's Joshua through Esther. Then you have the poetical books, which are Job and and Psalms and Song of Solomon and all of those. And then the last section of the Old Testament is the prophets. And as we get to Isaiah tonight, we're entering this final section of the Old Testament. Now, there's, there's a couple of books we haven't done yet out of the history section. We haven't looked at the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, or Esther yet. And so what we're going to do, if you like plans, and I like plans, so that's why I tell you this kind of stuff, is this whole year together, unless the Lord comes and then he can teach us the book of... Isaiah, and I'm great with that. But if the Lord tarries for another 12 months, we're going to spend that time going through the prophets. We're going to go first through the major prophets, then we'll stop, and we'll look at Esther, we'll look at Nehemiah, we'll look at Ezra, because those kind of happen a little later in Israel's history, and then we'll end the year in the fall by going through the minor prophets. Now, Now, you might say, major prophets, minor prophets. What is all of that? Why are you saying that? Well, the section known as the prophets, it divides into two parts as well. There are books known as major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, some put him in that characteristic. And then there is the minor prophets known in the Hebrew Bible as the 12, 12 guys that, that wrote these messages from God to the nation of Israel. And please understand Bible students, because I think it's important. The difference between a major prophet that Isaiah, he's a major prophet and a minor prophet like the book of Joel, let's say, the difference isn't that Isaiah was more important than Joel. That's not the difference. Sometimes when we assign terms like major and minor, it sounds like the military and you're a major and you're just a minor. So, so you have nothing. To, that's not why the Bible calls them that. That's not why they're classified that way. It has nothing to do with who is important, who's not important. The difference is how much they wrote. In other words, the major prophets were the long-winded guys. They were the guys who eventually you're looking at your watch going, I thought he said eight o'clock. What's, what's going on? What's, I listen, listen. Those are the major prophets myself. I'm more of a minor prophet. I get to the point, be quick and be done kind of. I guess I shouldn't say that before I try to cover 12 chapters of Isaiah tonight. But the, the reality is this. The reality is that's the difference. The long-winded guys, the guys that had a lot to say, their books are long. Those are the major prophets. The minor prophets are short and sweet to the point. Now, these major and minor prophets, they would minister either to the north of Israel or the south. Remember, because we just studied the book of First and Second Kings. The nation of Israel divided into two parts after King Solomon. King Saul, King David, King Solomon all ruled over united Israel. But when Solomon's son Rehoboam came to the throne, the people had been heavily taxed by Solomon. And they come to Rehoboam, his son, and say, would you just cut the taxes a little bit? We think we're the first people to ask that of our government. <laughs> no, it's been going on for thousands of years. Way back in ancient Israel, they just said, give us a break, Rebo. give us a break. Give us a tax break, we will serve you forever. And Rehoboam says, no, no. My, my father had huge taxes. I will have huger taxes. And because he was... Not that smart. (laughs) He, what happened is the northern 10 tribes left following after the sons of David and became their own nation, the nation of Israel. And and Judah and Benjamin united together in the north, and they became the nation of Judah. And God sends some of the prophets to the north to minister to those 10 tribes. A lot of those guys are the minor prophets. And then he sends other guys to the south to minister to the tribe of Judah, to the tribe of Benjamin, to the Jewish people living in the city of Jerusalem. And Isaiah is one of those. He's a major prophet for you Bible students Who is ministering to the south, to the nation of Judah, to the people that live in the city of Jerusalem? He was that kind of prophet. Now, when I say the word prophet, some of us have in our mind, a prophet? So that means this guy was old and he had white hair, looked kind of like Gandalf from, you know, Lord of the Rings. And he lives in the wilderness and he sees visions and he tells the future. And certainly some of the prophets were like that. But I want you to know, Bible students, the word prophet simply means declare of God's word. And that's what Isaiah is. That's what Ezekiel is. It's what Jeremiah is. The ministry of an Old Testament prophet really broke into two sections. Number one, their job was to foretell the future. That's what we usually think of. We think of profit, don't we? Some of you, the minute I said, we're spending the whole year looking at the profits, you're thinking, oh, a whole year on the rapture, a whole year on the millennium, ooh, goody, or oh no, <laughs> that sounds, either way, get it out of your mind. Because not everything is prophetic. Now, some of, the, some of their job was to tell the future in advance. When we get to the end of the book of Isaiah, those last three studies, man, all the prophecies about the Messiah, about the millennium, about the future for God's people in all generations, is some great prophetic stuff at the end of the book of Isaiah. But that wasn't the only job of the prophet. Not only were they to foretell the future, but they were also to foretell the heart of God To God's people. The majority of these books. Are God just sharing his heart. On what was going on in the issues of the day. How he felt about this. How he felt about that. And Isaiah will spend much of his time. Simply doing that. Pouring out God's heart. To God's people. The book of Isaiah. Is one of the greatest books. In all of the Bible. You know, when I was going to Bible college, Pastor Chuck, who was overseeing the school then, he picked 12 books that we were supposed to master by the time we were done with our education there. 12 books. Now, we looked at the whole thing. We did had individual classes we could take, but there were 12 books we had to get down. And Isaiah was absolutely one of those books. And one of the reasons that makes Isaiah just so significant is it's really, Bible students, it's the Bible in miniature it's the Bible in miniature, because just like there are 66 books in the Bible, there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 books of the Bible, we call the Old Testament, the emphasis, there's good stuff and story, but the emphasis is the law, the government, all the things that they're doing wrong. And then, then the New Testament, the emphasis goes to grace and the love of the Lord and all that God has done in their lives and really The book of Isaiah breaks up that way as well. The first 39 chapters, it's a lot of judgment. It's a lot of God saying this is the problem and this is going to be done and we're going to cover most of that in two nights. Woo-hoo. Why? Because I don't want to spend a lot of time in judgment. Then we're going to throw it into low gear and we'll go through the rest of the book slowly because what it's going to look, well, not slowly, not slowly, but we're going to go through it at a slower pace. Why? Because he starts giving those prophecies about Jesus and Jesus is coming and the millennium and the things that are ahead. And so this is a great, great, great book. But because of the great difference between the first 39 chapters And the last 27 chapters, a lot of Bible scholars, especially ones alive today, say there were really two Isaiahs. There wasn't just one historical Isaiah, but there was two guys. They'll say, I'm not saying that. They'll say there was two, two guys. One guy was grumpy. (laughs) One guy wrote the first, no idea why it's doing that. First 39 chapters and he was angry. He was upset. He was, he was all uptight. And then... The the laid-back Isaiah showed up, (laughs) and he wrote the rest of the book. And they, again, I think a lot of the reasons these theories develop is just to make us think we really don't know all that we know about the Bible. And it gets us to start to doubt about the Bible, and then we doubt the promises in the Bible. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you can put that stuff in the trash where it belongs. There was one historical Isaiah that wrote every bit of this book. How can you say that so boldly? That sounds kind of prideful. Well, there's a lot of reasons. We could take a whole night just on that, and that would be boring, so we're not going to do that. But I just want to give you one way to know. There's just one Isaiah. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, John speaking about Jesus, he quotes Isaiah so much of Isaiah is in the New Testament because these guys quoted him all the time. And when they were quoting Isaiah, he said this in chapter 12, the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. That's what he says in John twelve, thirty eight. Then he goes on in verse 39 to say this. Therefore, he could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. He said, well, what's so significant about that? Here, Get this Bible students, get it. This is gold. In verse 38, John the apostle he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 Lord who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord be revealed that's Isaiah 6:10 and John 12:38 now, John then attributes, as you see, he attributes that quote to Isaiah. But in the second part, he quotes in verse 40 from Isaiah 53. He says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. That's John twelve forty and Isaiah 53, 1. Now, notice, notice, notice. If I put you to sleep, wake up. Notice from verse 29 or 39 that is from isaiah chapter 6 in verse 40 that's from isaiah chapter 53 the second half of the book he quotes from the first half that's supposedly written by one guy liberal scholars will tell you and then he quotes from the other part of the book supposedly written by the other guy and yet what does john say both times thus says the prophet isaiah he says it three times, just so dense people like me will really get it. Three times. He said, Who wrote this? Isaiah? Hey, guess what I'm saying? Isaiah, who wrote it? Isaiah. He says it three times. Why? So they'll get it. Now, I actually asked a liberal college professor that one time, who, who said he believed in the Bible. I said, Well, right here, look right here. Look right here. You, you got you got verse 39. He's quoting the first part. And he says that was Isaiah. And then and then he and then he. He quotes the, the last part, and that's from the second half, and he says that was from Isaiah too. So what do you say about that? And he says, Well, the Apostle John just didn't know what we know today about the word. <laughs> what? What? Excuse me? What? What? If you believe as I do, that John was not just some dude, but inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, then you are gonna believe that, you're gonna believe that he just. That you, the fact that, that you know more about the Bible than the Holy Spirit does? If you believe that, friend, you got way bigger problems than who wrote Isaiah and how many, how many of them there were. You got, we got a whole other things we got to talk about tonight. No, 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 no. One Isaiah. Wrote the first part, wrote the second part, and this man, by the way, was a real historical figure. We know Bible students from history, not just from the Bible, but from history that this man lived. On, on, on the back of your study guide, we have some of those um, kings again and where they lived and when they ministered. And we'll have this up on the screen as well, this particular part, because I want to show you exactly where Isaiah fits historically into the story of the nation of Judah. King Amaziah, as you can see here. I'm glad it's behind me. It's nice and big. King Amaziah, he reigned from 803 to 775, and he was a great godly king of Israel. Just loved the Lord with all of his heart. He had a brother, a brother, a prince, you know, kind of like prince whoever in England. He had a prince, a brother that didn't become king. His name was Amos, and Amos had a son, and his son's name was Isaiah. Isaiah was royal. He had royal blood flowing through his veins. Now the kings went through his cousins and uncles and all of them, but Isaiah was royal. Next to come to the throne during Isaiah's life, when Isaiah was born, was Uzziah. Uzziah was the one on the throne when Isaiah was born, and Uzziah was a great king. Then we had Jotham, and Jotham was a great king too, but he but he only reigned for one year. And then he was put down and he was killed. And unfortunately, then we got to King Ahaz. And Ahaz, I don't expect you to remember, but... He was a wicked king from our second king studies. He did a lot of crazy stuff, burning some of his sons to Molech, just ridiculous things Ahaz was involved in. And and Isaiah is actually speaking to him in chapter 7, chapter 8. You'll see him mention the king Ahaz. And this is this guy, this wicked king that was in charge during the ministry of Isaiah. Well, Isaiah outlives Ahaz, and he ministers during Hezekiah's reign. And Hezekiah was one of his best buds. Again, Isaiah hung out in the royal courtyard because he was a royal. But he developed a friendship with Isaiah that we'll look at in chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39. That middle section is this historical story of Isaiah and Hezekiah and what they did together. And, oh, I can't wait for that section. It's a great section of the book of Isaiah. Well, then Hezekiah's son Manasseh came to the throne, and if you remember, Manasseh was as wicked as his granddad Ahaz, and he did a lot of idolatrous things, and guess who spoke up against it? Good old prophet Isaiah. And what happened to Isaiah? Well, history tells us that in 695 B.C., he was fastened between two planks and sawn in two. Literally sawn in two was the fate eventually for the prophet Isaiah. Most Bible scholars, in fact, believe that when Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, that it's referring to Isaiah, the martyrdom of prophet Isaiah, when he says they were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. Isaiah, though a great prophet, he meets with a gruesome death. And, you know, by the way, just a little side note. Sometimes we say, I want to be a prophet. I want to be a great man. I want to be a great woman of God, you might say, ladies. Think that through. (laughs) Count that. I'm not saying that as, count the cost for that. Because as we study the life of Isaiah over the next six weeks, you're going to find a lot of people didn't like Isaiah. A lot of people didn't like Jeremiah when we get to that book. And you know what? If you're going to serve the Lord and stand for the Lord, there will be people that aren't going to like you. And we could say, what's wrong? What's wrong with the church? What's wrong with this? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. They didn't like Isaiah. They didn't like Jesus. And if you're anything like Isaiah and Jesus, guess what? You. I'm sorry. In fact, if they really love you, you should might be ask yourself some questions tonight. What's wrong with me? What's going on with me? Because these guys were persecuted. And, and more than that, they had to do some crazy stuff for, for the Lord. I won't spoil it tonight, but Isaiah is told to do some crazy things for the Lord. And if, 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 if you're going to serve the Lord sometimes, he may ask you to do something crazy. Well, oh, I could never. I could, well, no, don't, don't blurt out then. I want to be a prophet. They do some crazy things for the Lord. They have to deal with some difficult issues in their life. But Isaiah, though he was put to a martyr's death, he was a great, great man and a great, great book did he write. In fact, as I've been saying, Isaiah was Jesus' favorite book. And some have asked, well, how do you know that? How do you know that Isaiah was Jesus' favorite book? Because he told me. Doesn't he talk to you too? No, just just kidding. Just kidding. That's not how I know. Here's how we know. Isaiah is the second most quoted book in the New Testament behind Psalms by the New Testament authors. It's the second most quoted book behind Psalms, but Isaiah is the most quoted book by Jesus in his sermons and in his teachings. Jesus referred to the book of Isaiah when he taught and he preached more than any other book in the Old Testament. So friends, if Jesus loved this book, (laughs) if Jesus was in this book, guess what? I think you and I should be in to this book. On the other side of that king's list, I've listed for you a reading schedule. And I I just can't encourage you enough. Whether you're going through Isaiah over the next 12 weeks with the ladies, awesome. And whether you're going to stick it out with us for six weeks as we go through Isaiah, great. But you know me, we're going to have to skip a lot. I really have, as I've prayerfully prayed through, really have, this pace that God has us on. I, I know this is what he wants me to do on Wednesday nights but there's a lot of great meaty stuff here that I don't want you to miss. And so I just highly encourage you, you're going to get out of these what you put into them by being here and maybe by reading through this book uh, slowly as we go through. So not only did I list the uh, chapters there, I list what we were doing on Wednesday night. In fact, how'd that thing get on there about my birthday? I mean, who does this stuff? Funny, Danny Williamson called me today and... He wanted to go get some coffee. And I said, oh, it's really busy this week. How about next week? Well, I'm out of town next week. I said, when you get back? He goes, on January 20th, your birthday. And I said, how did you know it's my birthday? And he said, I thought he was going to say, because we've been friends for 16 years. He said, because you let everybody know. Anyway, so... It's a character flaw. It's a character flaw, I know. But anyways, anyways. so so we're going to be covering each of these sections. The one mistake, because I did this rapidly, the very last line, February 11th, we're not going to redo Isaiah 40 through 48. That night, the focus will be Isaiah 60 through 66. So if you want to make that change, all the rest of it should be, a, should be correct. You've got a reading schedule. You've got some information on background. Well, <laughs> wow, only 20 minutes in. Let's go ahead and get as far as we can into the study tonight. So the book of isaiah divides into four parts bible students important to know four parts the first 12 chapters are prophecies concerning judah about judah now where was isaiah ministering in judah this is like his hometown where he was at it was it was to his people that that's what the first 12 chapters are about in chapter 13 through 35 the focus shifts from the city of jerusalem to the nations that were surrounding the nation of Israel. So next week, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what was going on in the nations all around uh, Jerusalem at this time and what God did in each of their lives as we look at the prophecies concerning them. Then the third part of the book is practical statesmanship. It's that section I told you about before where Hezekiah and, and, uh, and, and Isaiah get together and they fight off a common foe, the nation of Assyria, through prayer, through intercession. It's a great section of scripture. And then, and then, where we're going to go the slowest, quote unquote, uh, not very slow, but slower, is we're going to slow down in those last uh, 27 chapters, 40 through 66, and see for three nights the future prophecies that are included in the book of Isaiah. So tonight, we want to kind of overview the first 12 chapters looking at prophecies concerning Judah. And tonight what we're going to see is the first five chapters really deal with God's charging his people with sin, the people of Judah. And then we'll see him call his prophet in chapter 6. And finally, very quickly, we'll go through 7 through 12 where God cautions of his judgment. And so look with me, if you would, in chapter 1, just verses uh, 3 and 4. God speaking, well, I'll start in verse one. It's a good place to start. Then the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So that's telling you what we just said. That he was alive during those kings and ministering in those days. And God speaks through him and says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. And they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know my people. Do not consider, alas, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. A brood of evildoers. Children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. In these first few chapters, we're just going to look at the few verses out of this section. But what God's doing from chapter 1 through chapter 5 is he is bringing some accusations against his people. And obviously it's based on truth. The Lord's saying, my people are worse than an ox or a donkey. At least a beast of burden listens to the direction of its master. But Israel would not. Even though they had the law, they had the word of God, they had the prophets of God to speak to them, they're still going their own way, doing their own things, without listening to God at all. Now listen, what is so important for us to consider as we think this through is just because God is rebuking them, it doesn't mean that they weren't doing religious stuff. Remember, this is a group living in Jerusalem. So they were going to the temple. They were offering their sacrifices. But their hearts will find out we're far from God. Sometimes we think, well, I'm in rebellion if I'm doing drugs. I'm in rebellion if I'm sleeping around. But as long as I'm not doing those biggies, as long as I'm keeping up with my religious duties, going to church, checking in, well, then God and me are good. Well, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 of these people who were doing good. Verse 11, God says this, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? He's like, Why are you offering? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing those things? Says the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Increase an in abomination. increases is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and sacred meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates, God says. They are, in, they, are, they are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widows. Now you say, God seems kind of upset in chapter one. (laughs) Why is he telling them not to go to the temple? Didn't he tell them to go to the temple? Didn't he tell them to offer those sacrifices? Yes, he did. But understand the context, Bible students. These people were bringing their offerings. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were doing the religious stuff. But they were just going through the motions. Their hearts were far from the Lord. And God says, you're missing the point. I don't really care that you're sacrificing a goat if your heart isn't in, isn't understanding that you're repenting of your sins in that. I don't care that you're coming to the temple and offering money when your heart is planning rebellion. That's why God says, stop it. Stop it. These religious things that you're doing are taking the place between me and you and it needs to stop. You need to repent and to go in the right direction. Of course you know, we can kind of have that same heart. Think the Jews in Jerusalem, when they first heard chapter one, I bet many of them, especially the religious folk, they were thinking, who are you preaching to, Isaiah? (laughs) I think you're called to the wrong group of people you should go to those rebels in the north. (laughs) Remember, the, the people in the north were rebellious. They had golden calves they were worshiping. They were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I bet there were many in Jerusalem when they heard Isaiah speak, they said, you should go to them. Why are you preaching to us? We're the good guys. We follow the sons of David. We're doing our sacrifices. We say our prayers. We go to temple. We're in Judah. We're not worshiping golden calves. And again... I think we can, if we're we're not careful, can do the same. You're getting kind of preachy tonight, Pastor Jason. Why are you preaching at us? Why don't you go share with some drug addicts outside? We're good folks here. We're Wednesday night churchgoers. In fact, we're double good, double good. If you want to yell at somebody, yell at those SMOs, those Sunday morning only people. You yell at them. You yell at them. We're here on a Wednesday night. Now, Now listen, I'm glad you're here on a Wednesday night. Can I ask you why are you here? Is it to go through religious motions while our heart is far from God, maybe even planning evil and rebellion right now? Hey, are you here because you love God? Because you know you fall short, but we love him and we want to be more like him. Listen, precious church, God isn't looking for perfect he knows you're a sinner. It's why he died for you, but he's looking for hearts that are genuine towards him, not just going through religious motions. And that's where the nation of Judah was at. They were just going through the religious motions. And if you're doing that precious men and women, God's word to you is the same word that he gave to them. Repent. But I go to church. Great. Repent and keep coming to church. Repent and get right with the Lord that we should be here because he is good. God says to them, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evils of your doing from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Again, that's the definition of repentance, isn't it? Cease to do evil, stop what you're doing and learn to do good. Go in the opposite direction. Well, I hear that, but why... Man, this chapter one's about and chapter two's about that and three's about that and four's about that and five's about. Why all of this pointing out of his own people's sins? I thought God was about love and grace. Why all this repent of your sin? You know why? Because he loves his people. He loves his people. Let's not forget what Solomon told us. In Proverbs chapter 3, he said, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For, listen, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So often, I don't know about you, but I can think this. Lord, why are you on my case? Why the conviction? Why does that Pastor Jason keep looking at me? Listen. Listen. It's not because the Lord is after you. It's because the Lord loves you. After service, in just a few minutes, hopefully, just a few minutes, there's gonna be kids running all over this place, right? You know what it's like here. They get out of children's ministry. They've had eight cupcakes and they're ready to go. I mean, they're wound up. They're ready to go. They're gonna be running on. They'll be doing flips off the sanctuary. You worship leaders, you move your guitars out of the way because pandemonium starts to break out when the little kids get in here. There's gonna be lots of little kids running around. But you know you know the three that I will correct. Haley, well, Haley, she's, she's twelve now. She's doing backflips. She used to though, but Jonathan and Aaliyah, th- th- those I'm going to correct. You know why? Because their last name is Duff. Now your crazy kid might be doing the same backflip off of this pew right here, but you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not going to say anything to them. You know why? Because that's your that's your kid. If you if you're excited that your kid is amped up on sugar, that, that that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. I love you. And I love your kids. But I'm not going to correct your kids as they're down in two big gulps at a time. You know why? Because they're your kids. That's your problem tonight. But when my kid shows up with a big gulp, and he, I'm like, what are you doing? Why? Because that's my kid. That's my kid. And so often, listen, I know how it feels. You go, Lord, why why, are you, why does it feel like you're after me? Why does it feel like God won't let certain areas of your life slip? Why why, would you just realize it's because he loves you? Because he considers himself your father? In chapter three, the charges of sin continue. Isaiah Isaiah points out the effects of sin. Look at chapter three, verse one. Look at what God says to him. So important. Again, he's just pointing out sins of his kids. And he says this in chapter three, for behold, The Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water, and the mighty man and the man of war, and the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elders, the captain of 50, and the honorable men, and the counselors and the skillful artisans, and the expert enchanter. And I will give children to be their princes and babes to rule over them. He's saying, I love you, kids. This is your sin. I love you, city of Jerusalem. This is what you need to repent of. You need to get right with me. You need to get my heart. And then, as he so often does, he warns them of what will happen if they don't repent. He says, there's gonna be consequences. But would you notice with me what these consequences are? I find it so fascinating. He says, I'm gonna bring drought, Hmm, funny. Famine. And this is stuff we see all over the world today, don't we? All over the world today. And in some cases, it's the effect of war or a dictator, but even in those cases, can we all agree tonight that it really boils down to one thing? It's the effect of sin. It may be not those poor people going through it. It might be their leadership. It might be something that happened a generation past. But the reality is, it was sin that often brought about the drought and the famine. They're indicators something's not right in that culture. And listen, the same thing I think could be true in our lives personally. We experience drought. I know we're in a drought. (laughs) But I mean, in our person's. We experience famine, beat of joy, a famine of money. And sometimes, not always, sometimes it's an indicator. Like it was in, in Jerusalem's day. An indicator, something's not right. Something's spiritually not okay. I mean, you know, you're driving down the highway and a light starts flashing on your dashboard. That's not because Toyota likes Christmas and they want to give you some extra lights. You know that, right? Right? Now, sometimes the indicator light, it's kind of hard to figure out. I, I personally drive Toyotas, and it's, it never just says, oil's out. It doesn't say that. It gives you some cool symbol that you're supposed to then find in the book you no longer know where it is, what that symbol represents. The, 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 the tire pressure low is this, like, triangle. I'm like, does it doesn't even look like a tire. Like, I don't, I don't know that. But this light flashing, what does it say? Something's wrong. It's not for decoration. It shows me something's wrong. And I, and I just mentioned this because sometimes, as, as, a, as we always do, as, as a church family and our own families, we're so quick to try to cover up the indicators. And I'll just share with you what the Lord has been sharing with me. It's not always the best thing for some people. What do you mean? Well, listen, y- y- we all get headaches, right? And if you're reasonable, you take a Tylenol and you get a headache. Now, every bottle of Tylenol says what on the side? It says, if condition persists, see a doctor immediately. Every bottle of Tylenol says that on the side. Why? Because the headache is an indicator something else is going on in your body. You don't have a headache because you lack acetaminophen in your body. You know that, right? (laughs) Right. It's not like, I'm low on acetaminophen, I need a headache. Now, we, we put ourselves in need of caffeine, and sometimes that's what's missing. But, but it's not acetaminophen we're lacking, the main ingredient in Tylenol. So that's not it. Now, normally it's something minor. and So you take the headache, and you get your cup of coffee, and you're great. You know, you take the Tylenol, your kids stop screaming, it's great. But if the headache, can, if it continues, you don't just keep taking Tylenol, Right? The headache's an indicator. Something else is happening. And I just mentioned that to you because, I mean, there's a place for for taking the Tylenol, so to speak, spiritually. You know, when some of you are going through difficult times, there's a place to to show up and say, I've been part of this church for 15 years. I just need some help this month. And we do that a lot. We have a food pantry in the back when things get difficult. I, I love that. Maybe for your own family sometimes, it seems like there's that one family member that's always going through it. It's right and it's Christian to want to take care of it. But sometimes, sometimes, not always, sometimes it's an indicator, something's wrong. And if we keep taking care of the problem and the, and the problem persists, maybe it's not the lack of food or money that's the problem. The problem is an issue that God is trying to address. And that's what we see in chapter 3. He's saying, You're not listening. Here's what's going to happen. And they could have all the food banks they wanted, they could have all the cool drilling they could figure out to get water out of the ground. It wasn't going to fix the problem problem because the problem was in their hearts. The problem was in their hearts. And the last indicator was a lack of leadership, a lack of leadership. I look at these things and I say, I know I'll get in trouble for this. I'll say it anyways. America's in trouble. Right. We live in a culture similar to theirs in Isaiah today. Isaiah says, or God says to Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. That's what we do. We call evil good and good evil. We're in trouble in this country. So we see it, we pray for it. We don't lose heart. Why? Why don't we lose heart? Because in verse 25, God says this, for all this anger, it's not turned away. My hand is stretched out still. God says multiple times through this section, all friends, you've sinned. Judgment has come. But God says, my hand still reached out to you. My hand's still right here. And maybe you're in that place tonight where you're like, there is drought and famine aplenty. Maybe in actual physical areas of your life, maybe spiritual areas of your life. And for some of you, it's just a trial. God's just teaching you things. It's going to be over soon. Praise the Lord. But for some of you, listen, because I love you. Listen, an indicator that something's wrong. It's an indicator that something needs to be dealt with in your heart. And instead of just leaving here tonight and saying, Whoa, God, how could God be so cruel to me? See him with his hand stretched out. Saying, After all you've experienced, my hand's still here. I still want to touch you. I still want to work in you. I still want to do great and mighty things in your life. But you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. God charges his people with sin, tells them the consequences for sin, and then tells them over and over, I'm still reaching out to you. We're almost done, but look at chapter six. And I want you to see the call of the prophet. Such a great chapter. In chapter six, Isaiah, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, look at verse 5. Woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I also heard a voice saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Chapter six is the calling of the prophet Isaiah. Now he had already been prophesying for five chapters. For five chapters, he's been saying, woe to you, Jerusalem. I see your sacrifices and they make God sick. I see what you're doing over there. Woe is you, woe. But it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Who was King Uzziah? He was the great king of Isaiah's early days. Isaiah was young. There was a great king on the throne. He was not just great spiritually. He was great politically. He took the nation of Judah to heights it had not seen since David and Solomon were on the throne. But it says in the year that he died, finally, Isaiah sees the Lord and something changes in Isaiah because all of a sudden he stops saying, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And all of a sudden he starts saying, woe is me. I have seen the Lord and I realize I have unclean lips. I dwell in the people of unclean lips and I need to be touched by the king. And listen to me, precious people. The effectiveness of the prophet Isaiah spiritually in this city from this moment forward, the scope of his prophecies from this moment forward don't even compare to the first five chapters because something's happened in Isaiah. Oh, he was right in the first five chapters. Don't misunderstand me. <laughs> These people needed to talk to. But something changes. The message stays the same. But something changes that's effective. And I suggest to you before we go our way tonight that what changed is Isaiah finally saw the Lord. You see, for many years, Uzziah, this great king, was kind of the focus that when problems would happen in the nation of Judah, yeah, Uzziah will take care of it, and he would. He would take care of it. Oh, the nations are coming against us. Don't worry. We got Uzziah on the throne. No need to seek the Lord. We got Uzziah. And so many people, their eyes were on them, their eyes were on Uzziah. But the year that he died, Isaiah and many others said, "Oh now I see the Lord. <laughs> the nations are still coming. Who are we going to turn to? Uh, I guess the Lord. Is it got that bad? I guess we'll turn to the Lord. Oh, I don't know. Things are happening. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to turn to the Lord. All of a sudden, they start seeing the Lord and they're changed. This has to happen in all of our lives. All of our lives. All of us have things that have the tendency to block Jesus out in our lives. That, that thing can be a person. Just someone who's your fix it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Wealthy family member. Every, every bill that goes up, you're like, hey, help me. And they're like, we love you, sure. And you're like, yay. <laughs> and then that person goes away. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What am I do now? Well, now you're going to get on your face before the Lord. And that's going to be good for you. Sometimes it's not just a fix it person, it's something like you idolize that person. You idolize who they are and what you what you expect them to provide for your life and when and when they don't, because they won't, because we're all people. What am I gonna do? You're gonna turn to the Lord. And that's gonna be good for you. Maybe for you it's not a person, it's a it's a trial. It's just so big and you don't see any way around it. You've got to put that in its proper perspective and see the Lord because once you do, things are going to change. Maybe it's a dream that you, you had, a dream you wanted to see happen in your life, and it's not happening, but you're so focused on the dream, you're missing the Lord. There comes a time where all those things need to be put into their proper perspective. And we need to see the Lord because once I see the Lord, I stop thinking, well, what's wrong with him? And what's wrong with her? And what's wrong with those people over there? And I start to realize, what's wrong with me? I need the Lord. I need to seek God. I need to go to Him. I need to trust Him. I need to look to Him. I need to be fulfilled in Him. I need to find my satisfaction in Him. And when that starts to happen, gang, look out. Look out. Because you're going to see the Lord. He's going to touch your life. He's going to cleanse your sin. And there's no end to what God can do through a man or woman submitted to him. I don't know if there is. I don't know what it is that might be blocking out the Lord for you tonight. But I can't encourage you enough before we walk out this door that you make a determination in your heart to say I want to see the Lord. Oh, I love that person or maybe I'm irritated at that person. I need to see the Lord. I've got to have that thing. I don't have to have I got to see the Lord. This trial's so great. This tri- I've got to see the Lord. I've got to see the Lord. The final section, chapter 7 through 12, deal with cautions concerning his judgment. Some dark days were just ahead of them. Isaiah is prophesying at a time right before Assyria comes to take over the northern tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. It's dark times in the nation of Israel as Isaiah is preaching. And so much so that God uses Isaiah in unique ways to minister to these people about to go through dark times. He even uses the name of his kids in chapter 7 and 8. I love this. In chapter 7, he says, I want you to name one of your sons, Jessib,' which means a remnant shall return. And then in eight, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, I want to name your other kid, Mahershalel Hazbaz, <laughs> which means the spoil speeds the prey hastens. Some of you new moms are looking for kid names. Let me highly suggest Mahershalel Hazbaz. What a, great, what a great name that would be to pronounce the first day of kindergarten. But anyways, anyways. What is he teaching them through these names? The, the, the second one, judgment's coming. The earlier one, a remnant's gonna return. God's gonna come through. And I see in this that God used even Isaiah's kids. You know, see, I, I think we think sometimes in our Christian culture today, Well, God won't use my family. I mean, you know, he wouldn't use my spouse. He wouldn't use our loved ones to teach us a lesson (laughs) or to use them to teach others a lesson. He won't use them to teach us patience. He won't use tragedy in their lives to teach others about faith in God. God would only use our lives, us who have knowingly surrendered to him as examples and life lesson platforms. Never our children who are not old enough. Never our spouse that doesn't know him. Well, I don't know where we get that understanding, but it doesn't come from the Bible. And for you, especially if you would say, God, take my everything. God will use you. And he will use your children. And God will use your believing spouse. God will use your unbelieving spouse to teach life lessons to you and to teach life lessons to others. And we need to see that and let God what he's gonna do what he's gonna do and not think that the only one, that we're the only ones that go through difficult days. Isaiah lets the nation know dark days are coming, but even in the darkness, light is coming. You see, it's in chapter 7. It's in chapter 9. It's in chapter 11. You see why you have to read on your own. It's in all of those chapters that we start to see these great prophecies about Messiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And they call his name Emmanuel, as we looked at just last month. In chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In chapter chapter 11, we read that famous prophecy about Jesus, where it describes him, it says, there shall come from the the rod of of the stem of Jesse a branch, which shall grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall Rest upon him the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There's so many things about this future hope of the Messiah. And why am I closing with that? Because of this, God spends the first five chapters saying, "My kids, my kids, I love you, my kids." that's why I'm correcting you. Trouble, trouble's coming, and you better repent, or this could be the result. Then he calls his prophet. Prophet sees the Lord high and lifted up and starts continuing to minister to his kids, but now God adds something that even though dark days are coming, light is on the way. You see, it would be right outside of the city of Jerusalem, in a little suburb of Jerusalem known as Bethlehem, where Isaiah chapter seven, Isaiah chapter nine, would be fulfilled. And light would come to this dark city. Even though Israel, the northern nation, was about to be taken over by Assyria, it would be in Galilee, in the north, in the north, where, where Jesus would open up the word of God and use Isaiah to start his own ministry. In the north. And I see in all of this that God is telling his people, dark days are ahead, but don't you get discouraged. And don't you give up. Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And friend, like we've been doing all night, I think we can turn that right around to ourselves. It's discouraging to watch the news sometimes. It's discouraging to read what's happening all over our world. And I know, because I have the tendency too to go, Oh, it's happening, Lord. What's happening? This is happening. Have you read the last book? This is happening. There's some crazy stuff ahead for you and I, friends. And we'll get into some of that in the weeks and months that are ahead at the end of Isaiah, all throughout the prophet Ezekiel. We'll get into some of that end times prophecy stuff. But listen. Dark stuff is coming. But don't you fret. Don't You give up. Don't you despair. Why? Because just like for them, for you, for me, Jesus is on the way. Half of the prophecies about Isaiah are not his first coming, about Jesus' first coming. It's about the time he comes again. And in these dark days, in these dark times, Yes, it can be discouraging, but don't you give up because Jesus is on the way. And you know what he's looking for in these dark days? Same thing he was looking for back then. Men and women like Isaiah. i will say, Lord, even though people will treat me poorly at times, even though occasionally I'll get stepped on, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm gonna stand for righteousness. I'm gonna stand for you because I've seen the Lord high and lifted up. And his glory someday is gonna fill every temple and every tabernacle. And when I see him, I see me as we're gonna look at this Sunday in the proper light. Oh Lord, I need you so desperately. I can't do this on my own. I don't want to put on a religious show. I want to serve you. And you come to him with that heart. And what's going to happen? Like Isaiah, he's going to touch you. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to use you in this last generation. Dark days are ahead in our lives. But Jesus is coming. Dark days are ahead. But God still wants to raise up men and women like Isaiah to be his men, to be his women, to be his representatives, to preach his word, to proclaim his love, to be light in the midst of a lost and dying world. And who in here, I just put out a silent challenge tonight, would say like Isaiah, here am I, Lord. I now kind of have a concept of what it means, though. It might affect my kids. It might mean I'm not so well-treated at times. But I've seen the King. And there's no one else I want to live for. So like Isaiah, Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me. Father, I pray that would be the prayer of many of our hearts tonight. Oh, I know there's so much more in those chapters and I pray as these precious men and women read through the first 12 chapters or so this week as they either stick with our teaching schedule or just read on that couple chapters a day, I just pray that you'd speak to them and minister to them as the, as the ladies get together at Monday nights. Would you, would you draw out so many treasures out of this great, great book of Isaiah. But I think it's enough for tonight for us to know that you love us as your people but because you love us, you deal with us. Just like you dealt with your kids in Jerusalem. And Lord, it's true that dark days are ahead for our country. Dark days are ahead for this world. But Jesus, you're on the way. Light is coming. And you're looking for men and women that would say like Isaiah, I've seen the king. So touch my lips and make me pure. Touch my life and reform and refine me. And then, Lord, send me out to my home. Maybe for some of you, Lord, some of these precious people, Lord, their homes, their homes need light in them. God, would you send them into their homes for many of them? Their workplaces, their workplaces are so dark. It's so hard for them to get up and go to work in the morning. God, would you use them? Would you send them into that darkness? For some of them, their schools, their schools are such in rebellion. We just just see them saying with Isaiah, here am I, send me. We just send them, Lord, into those dark places. For some of us, as we just walk the streets, Lord, take our lives. We know what that means when we say it. Take our lives. May you do great and mighty things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're gonna go ahead and close with two songs tonight. And as we do, I just encourage you to pray these things in. If you need prayer, as always, there's men and women up front. They would love just to put an arm on your hand, on your shoulder and pray for you. But whether you want prayer for them or where you want to just gonna grab a corner and just talk these things over with the Lord, I think each of us have some issues God wants to start to dig out. Each of us has some things that we just can block out the Lord at times in our lives. And how cool would it be for each of us to say tonight, I have seen the King high and lifted up. Send me, Lord. Send me.